Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is Mardi Gras Day, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. We got some Mardi Gras music cranked up today. Les les bon temps roulés. Okay. Oh, the Crescent City at this time, of course, is inundated with parade goers filling in the streets of Canal Street, Uptown, St. Charles uh, Avenue, etc., to witness the parades coming through. The weather looks okay down there, doesn't it? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I don't think storms are coming through. And I mean, when you get that far below sea level or that close to the gulf <laughs> you never really can tell when a pop-up shower is going to show its face true i've been there before uh, when it's been rather nippy for mardi gras and i've been there when it's been hot and sweaty oh yeah you never know this time of year kind of like it is here i even seeing... had one rainy mardi gras one year that was uh Ooh. interesting because you, you got all these beads on top of your raincoat with your hood up and it's just this mess yeah that ain't no fun so the folks look like they got decent weather to pour into the streets, will not be bothered by the elements, and then, of course, tomorrow at midnight tonight, to be more precise, it all comes to an end. Stop all that partying, because Lent begins. Ash Wednesday tomorrow. The markets are in free fall at the present time. The dial down 488. And the NASDAQ is down 211 at this point. And that is because investors are digesting a slew of information that they ain't happy about. One of them indicates that Xi Jinping says he's going to go visit with his buddy Vladimir Putin. And it just looks as if it's setting up to be more a situation where it's China and Russia joining forces to oppose the rest of the world, honestly. Certainly the West, which would include the U.S. and Europe. But don't worry, Rhino, because old Joe Biden's all over this deal. He's over in Ukraine, yucking it up with Zelensky, offering more American dollars. Meanwhile, the folks 
Dude can't find his butt with both hands, but he's going to save the world from nuclear <laughs> holocaust. Jeez. <laughs> Meanwhile, the good folks in East Palestine, Ohio, still suffering. And it appears that our government is a bit defiant about this whole situation. No, no. In fact, I saw an interview yesterday with Senator Sherrod Brown from Ohio. And he was asked whether or not he would drink the water. He wouldn't answer it. He just kept talking over the host. He knew what the question was. He heard it. He wouldn't answer it. But it's okay, he says. It's been tested. It's fine. How about you? Well, no. <laughs> he never really answered it. That's just weak. Weak, weak. So the Dow now has crossed over the down 500 mark. Not good. The other thing that investors are worried about is that the Fed may get a tad more aggressive with respect to rate hikes. We got some rather weak earnings news this morning from Walmart and I believe it was Home Depot. Home Depot presently down 17 bucks a share, trading at $300. That's 5.5% on the intraday. It has announced it intends to boost wages, Home Depot, a billion dollars. They intend to invest in increasing wages, which I think is a sign of the challenges of a tight labor market. To a great extent, it sure feels like private companies are in competition with the government. Not for jobs, for government benefits that deter people from working jobs. And that is causing a big old problem, I think, in the market. Oil down today to 76 bucks. And that's because most investors there think we're going to see a decline in demand as a result of a slowing economy. And, and so, naturally, we, we see a, the commodity futures drop. So you probably will see a little relief at the pump, I would think, as a result of this. And the 10-year Treasury, just below 4% right now, which usually results in a sell-off of growth stocks, mostly found on the NASDAQ. Today on the program at 11.05, Dr. David Weiland, Assistant Professor of Pediatric Cardiology and Electrophysiology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, will discuss some AED legislation he's advocating for. And then Senator Chris McDaniel represents Forrest and Jones County, that's Senate District 42. He's a candidate for Mississippi's lieutenant governor. He is scheduled to be on the program at 12.05 today. I was uh, just came from Madison where I moderated a panel discussion on the state of health care in the county, the tri-county area, the state overall. And that included uh, Dr. Dan Edney, the State Health Officer with the Department of Health, Tim Moore, President of the Mississippi Hospital Association, 
And then executives uh, from, chief executives actually, from St. Dominic's Baptist Hospital in Jackson, and then the Madison Merritt Hospital. Very engaging discussion, incredibly informative. And the one thing, Rhino, I find every time there is a discussion about health care, and in particular health care policy, health care economics, it's, it's not something a lot of people are familiar with, and, and uh, they shouldn't have to worry about it. Like so many other things, it, it seems like we're all having to take on and add to our, our list of worries. Shouldn't have to worry about it. But it's a, it's a national problem. And there's no single, exclusive, easy, silver bullet, obvious solution that so many would suggest. There's not. It's because of the complexity of it. One thing I did notice, the panelists were up on a stage at the venue, and I was off to the side at a podium uh, asking the questions, moderating. And one thing I could tell just scanning the audience, they were dialed in. And I think many were surprised at information that they were hearing. And, and you can see their, their gears grinding. So hopefully we stimulated the conversation. Again, it's something that needs to be discussed. I do not believe there's any single solution whatsoever. And it's... Uh, a complex environment that's not getting any simpler and has a lot of people that support a number of different policies as a potential solution. We shall certainly see. You know, Rhino, this situation with Tiger Woods. <laughs> oh, God. Told you they'd cancel him. <laughs> you want to describe what happened? He was playing with his buddy. Yeah, he outdrove his uh, longtime pal there on the tour, and because he outdrove him, he handed him a tampon, basically joking with, "Hey, maybe try it from the ladies' tees next time." Michael Johnson, and that's this is a common, common fodder amongst golfers when you outdrive somebody to kind of rub it in their nose a little bit. You know, uh, when I was a youngster and could hit it pretty far. <laughs> If I outdrove my group, I would, um, I'd often ask the question as we were walking off the tee, you guys heard about that new Walmart coming to town? Why Walmart? That one between my ball and yours. <laughs> so this is just a play on that. Having fun with his buddy. It got captured by a photographer. It's gone viral. Oh, my gosh. The women's empowerment groups are going nuts over this. The Legion of Perpetually Offended are showing they're perpetually offended once again. You know what really what really disappoints? That he apologized. I wish he wouldn't have. It's misogynistic, they said. It's a joke. Like you can't have fun. You can't have it. Pull the stick out of your rear. Justin Thomas is who he outdrove, and even Olympic great Michael Johnson is slamming and coming right back in the Element Well studios. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. That sounds like a little Mardi Gras music there. There we go. Oh, gosh. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis has been touring a bit. Probably saw that. He went, uh, did the Florida governor. He went to Staten Island, New York. And he really blasted. New York's bail law. And he should. It's just an unbelievable revolving door. We're criminalizing the victims while we decriminalize the criminals, the perpetrators. That's in the name of equity, of course. Well, it's the ultimate irony because it's coming from a political party and that its followers that use victimhood as currency. Unbelievable. Except the vast majority of their victimhood is only in their mind. <laughs> he told a, a group of supporters on Staten Island that, quote, the foundation of Florida's success has been commitment to law and order and support for the men and women who wear the uniform. He says, I read that New York is the only state that doesn't allow judges to consider when they're making a bail determination whether someone's a danger to the community. Geez, I thought that would be like the primary consideration. What am I missing there? That doesn't make any sense. But, oh gosh, you got to love it, Rhino. The race lady over there. That idiot. <laughs> At uh, MSNBNC, that would be, of course, Joy Reid from Morning Joy. She wasted no time in taking down Governor DeSantis. She said, well, this is pretty much on brand for DeSantis, who clearly wants to be president and who is on tour to signal to the nation how he would govern. And that is by replacing a multitude of ideas with the one he holds dear, the centrality of white Christian thought, and who, let's be clear, is using woke to mean any notion that brown, black, LGBTQ people and women are citizens rather than subjects, whether they live in red states or blue states, would in his American dream be forced to shut up and do, think, read, and say only what Ron DeSantis tells them. That could be the ultimate form of gaslighting projection there. Seriously. Because that's precisely what it looks like she and her leftist cohorts aspire to do. Such as hiring sensitivity readers to change, in book, change books such as eliminating advanced programs and classes in schools in the name of equity 
I started thinking about that. Isn't that exclusionary? You're excluding people who do work, who do achieve, who do perform from being rewarded for that in the name of inclusion and equity. It's upside down. It's almost like their circular logic eats itself. It's totally circular logic. Totally. It's the best way to describe it. And it fulfills some sort of perverted goal they have. I don't know what it is, but in their, in their minds. Oh, there's no goal. They're just constantly chasing the high of dopamine. <laughs> I think you're right. They have no long-term They have no short-term goals. If it's they do, all just right now, what does it mean to me and my feelings? It's terrible. It's idiotic. It's naive. It's juvenile. It's infantile. It's stupid on the face of it. There is a bit of a bright spot. There is a significant pushback against the, quote, woke agenda that's happening around the world. We shared the story last week of Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. She resigned on Wednesday after eight years in that office. Now, she's a leftist, the self-avowed leftist and a climate change extremist. I mean, Greta, what's her name? Greta Thunberg. <laughs> she opposed Brexit. She led the fight for Scottish independence from Britain. And during her tenure, life expectancy plunged. Drug deaths doubled. Alcohol deaths increased. Schools continued failing. Scots were worse off economically than they were when she took office. Gee, what does that sound like? Major American cities, Detroit, New York, other cities run by Democrats and Democrat-run states. Is this a harbinger of what we can expect in this country at the rate we're going, where we've embraced all this wokeism? Sure seems. But the gender bill was the tipping point for her. It's a gender recognition bill which would reform the need for medical diagnosis for gender changes and allow teens as young as 16 to have their bodies mutilated. The Scottish National Party has been in turmoil over it, and she ultimately resigned. So even the wokeism ran her off, a far-left loon. The British government fortunately blocked this measure, and of course we're looking at legislation here in the state of Mississippi, many other states as well. Wow. And then there's pushback against other aspects of the woke agenda across America. Fourteen states have filed a total of 23 bills aimed at protecting children from drag queen story hours. Why drag queen? I mean, can't we just have story hour with normal people? Why's it got to be a drag queen? Well, you got to drill down to the real reason why they're wearing women's clothing and putting on all that gaudy makeup in the first place. They crave attention. I think you're right. And grown adults look at them like they're bat crap crazy, so they have to go to the only place where they have a captive audience. Kids. No surprise that the American Civil Liberties Union and other LGBTQ pressure groups are 
outraged over this, apoplectic. They argue that, quote, proponents of the drag laws are falsely equating sometimes body events in adult-only venues with family-friendly, family-friendly performances at libraries. What's family-friendly about a drag queen? You can't put a lipstick, lipstick on that pig, can you? Children should not be exposed to people who seek to pervert them and indoctrinate and brainwash them. Just expose them to the, the book. The book without being censored. At age-appropriate books. And that's, that's where the left goes crazy. They're censoring the books. Yeah, because they've got explicit pornographic images in them for second graders. You're okay with that? You're sick. Bear in mind, these are the same loony liberals that are bent out of shape by a video game based in a magical world of Harry Potter. Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable when you look at that. Harassing people that are streaming, playing it on Twitch because oh, they're, they have the temerity to play that transphobic game that puts money in that transphobic Rowling's pocket. Unbelievable. Darren and Jackson on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, asks... Who are the parents that will allow their children to attend this garbage? At parents that believe that crap, that's who. That embrace it. That's what's sad. The same parents that see having a trans kid as the same level of social affluence as having a Gucci bag or a big car. It's trendy. Mm-mm-mm. So this is a tweet. Is this true? From Dinesh D'Souza, Muslims by the millions are converting to Christianity. This has never happened before, and the astounding explanation given by many of the converts is that they are seeing dreams and visions of Jesus. Hmm. I don't know about that. Carolyn Starkville says we need to expose them to the Bible. The problem with that, Carol, is that if you push that, and then every other religious sect will want exposure equal time of exposure to whatever their religious beliefs are in the public setting. And that causes all kinds of problems. Can we just read informative, entertaining books by, like, just normal people? Why does it have to be drag queens? I'm scrolling through Dinesh D'Souza's Twitter account, and I don't see that tweet. Yeah, that looks a little fabricated to me. That's why I question it. Thomas and Greenwood says they also have no way of procreation, so they have to groom. That's a good point. We're coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Attention, adoring fans! It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Walthoff County like my lipstick 
on that pig. That reference. Talking about the family-friendly drag queen reading hour. Could there be a more egregious oxymoron than that? Family-friendly. <laughs> Good grief. Oh, gosh. I'm still mad that Tiger Woods apologized. I wish he wouldn't have. That's what they wanted. Don't they get that? He, everybody runs around on eggshells worried about the woke mob attacking him. It's true. It's because the woke mob is made up of a bunch of losers who have nothing better to do. They really don't. It's, it's how they achieve some degree of relevance in their heads. And it's, they're not relevant. They're not achieving anything either. They're just, what they're doing is ruining fun, entertainment, any sort of mainstream traditional life. I mean, changing words in books. Can't say fat. Can't say little men. Have to say little males. There was something in Matilda. What was that? There was some nuttiness dealing with females in Matilda, I think. Yeah, they had to edit it to change the uh, the jobs that were mentioned because they perceived it to be a slight at women. Oh, stereotype women, huh? And when was that book written? Who cares? You, you simply cannot have a society... 1988. How do you avoid offending people? It's impossible! It's just Especially kind of, when they wear their feelings on their sleeve. Well, exactly. Everything offends them. When they're walking around the world with a chip on their shoulder just hoping you knock it off. Unbelievable. Well, I'm pleased that DeSantis pushing back all this stuff. And you know he's doing a good job when the race lady <laughs> attacks him, right? If you, if you got attacked by her... What is white Christian thought, exactly? Oh, excuse me. That was in The Witches, where they changed That's the, uh, right. the job titles. In Matilda, yeah. in the 2001 edition, well, dang it, it just went away. Let me scroll back down to it. But in Matilda, it was talking about the books that she read, and they were all male. She said she went on a olden day sailing ships with Joseph Conrad. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway and to India with Rudyard Kipling. Well, that's too many male authors way too many white male authors so you had to change it to she went to the 19th century estates with Jane Austen she went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway in California with John Steinbeck so does this not so succinctly clearly empirically illustrate this idea I've shared about it's more about what you are than who you are the who in this case means Oh, you're not a talented, accomplished author who happens to write books people enjoy reading. No, you're not viewed through that lens. You're seen as a white male. Isn't that right? It's oh, a what yeah. you are, not a who you are. Therefore, you we got to change things up. Too many of them. Man, oh man, oh man. The march to mediocrity continues. Meanwhile, Xi Jinping's headed to see Putin. There is a little bit of irony that they left in Ernest Hemingway in the new edition. 
What's that? Because of the mental anguish he experienced as an adult after his mother dressed him as a girl when he was younger. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. On the ceasefire text line, Louie from the 662. Gerard, we are losing this battle. The majority of teachers coming out of colleges these days have been indoctrinated, and they will in turn indoctrinate our school children. I share your concerns, Louie. I don't think we pay enough attention to this, Rhino, what's happening on college campuses. We, of course, discussed yesterday. I know I got pretty fired up about it. Miss Yunmi Park, who fled communist North Korea, immigrated with her family at a young age into this, into this country, attends Columbia University in New York, and basically says, gee, I, sounds like the same indoctrination, the same messaging I heard in North Korea. Capitalism, that's the problem. Free markets, rugged individualism, delayed gratification, all those things. Can't have it. we got to make everybody equal, equally miserable. That's exactly what happens. And Colombia is no... No outlier in this regard. This is happening across the spectrum of higher education. And so Louis has a great point. Many of those studying to be teachers, pursuing their degree in education at various levels, no doubt. Because the Marxists know, the Marxists who are so abundant in these positions of teaching the curricula in college uh, the college environment, no doubt. They're thrusting this on young, impressionable students, and then they come out and they think that's the way of the world. Capitalism, bad. Free markets, bad. Choice, you can't do that. The government has to figure it out for you. Gosh. Wow, wow, wow. My wife and I only have jokingly called USM the den of iniquity. That's disturbing, but I, I'm worried about it. Darren and Jackson says, isn't that some kind of copyright violation to change the words in a book? It's the publisher, Darren. It's the publisher that hired these sensitivity readers. It's a whole new job. They're the ones who are scouring the pages of all these books and identifying offensive language and changing it. Right? It's the publisher. Oh, yeah. It's Penguin. It's commissioned by and paid for by them. Mm, it's crazy. Quit sending your kids to college. Start homeschooling. Let the colleges go broke. 90% of the professors teaching at colleges are teaching there just to indoctrinate your kids. Either that or they're sorry that nobody else will hire them. I've seen reports that even in my alma mater, in Oxford, there's some professors that are coalescing around the idea of new test-taking approaches. You seen this? Take it till you like your grade. Unbelievable. Organic chemistry? Jeez, I thought that was always the course that weeded out, separated those whose parents told them you're going to be a doctor 
from those that truly wanted to be one and had the aptitude to do so and the drive to pretty much sacrifice your college life to the stacks, right? Oh, yeah. It's what it takes. Not anymore. In the name of equity, we can't let somebody perform worse than somebody else. We can't do that. Why don't we just quit keeping score in athletic competition? It's equity. That's not fair, is it? When's that going to happen? It is ironic you bring up the whole don't keep score. I mean, that's been around for ages now with, with youth sports and stuff like that, but it's only the adults that aren't keeping score. That's right. The kids on the field know oh, exactly, exactly what the right. score is. You're, you're totally right about that. Ben from Madison says, Noticing around the country many states are moving to school choice. When, if ever, will Mississippi open up their charter school program? It's a great question, Ben. As you know, this is something I've been passionate about for quite some time. And uh, have worked very closely um, sharing the board at Empower Mississippi. I'm proud of that. Proud of the work they've done to bring charter schools, school choice. We have really not come close to achieving the number of schools that we wanted to see. And but what you're referring to, though, Ben, is states such as Iowa, who just, what, a month ago signed into law universal school choice, which essentially means that the state funding for every student is attached to the student and can be used to go to the school of the student and family's choice, including a private school. Doesn't mean the private school has to accept them, but it gives them a lot of of latitude and discretion in where to go to school, rather than a student being tethered to the school that serves the address where they live, the district where their residence is located. And this is get gaining traction, and it is a very conservative concept. It, it was something that uh, Donald Trump advocated for. His education secretary, Betsy DeVos, still to this day is a big proponent and promoter of universal school choice. I'd like to see that in Mississippi as well, Ben. Coming right back on middays, don't forget that at 11.05, Dr. David Weiland. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Part of my brain wants to just repeat the first hours Mardi Gras music in the second and third hours of middays today to really give you the feel of Mardi Gras where you hear the same five songs over and over and over again. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> ah, yes, our good friend, the happy, I'm going to just go ahead and say it short. Leftist. He's short. Robert Reich. He's. What was it when Howard Cosell referred to someone as diminutive or something like that? <laughs> On Monday Night Football, he got worn out about it. 
Heck, that was back in the 80s, I think. 70s, maybe. Rice says a tweet I'm reading from. This week, more than 70 Republicans in Congress proposed permanently extending the Trump tax cuts. The bill would add an estimated $3 trillion to the deficit. Don't be fooled. Republicans in Congress don't care about the deficit. They want tax cuts for their wealthy donors. You're wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You're mathematically challenged. You're wrong. It's not true. First, you're assuming, this is crazy, they come up with this math that says, oh yeah, if we keep the taxes this way, this is how much revenue that's going to produce. It is a guesstimate at best. And in this case, with the Trump tax cuts, it's already been blown out of the water because the last two years we've enjoyed record revenues. Never produced as much revenue. Wait, what happened? I thought it was a $2 trillion cut over 10 years. We're in year six, and we're enjoying record revenues. And this is because self-avowed socialists, really more like communists, such as Robert Reich, believe all income originates with the ownership of the government. And then whatever you keep, oh, they're, they're altruistic, charitable, letting you keep some of what you earned. The Trump tax cuts literally saved Joe Biden. I know nobody thinks that. And what I mean by that is him running around boasting about how he trimmed the deficit, he never discusses, gee, that's with the Trump tax cuts producing the revenue side of that equation. You don't credit that. You don't attribute that. Without the Trump tax cuts, I would argue, it's the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, by the way, the TCJA of 2017, we would not have achieved record revenues. They would have fallen short of the figures that have been recorded, which would have made deficits under Biden, in additions to the debt, considerably higher. Mr. Reich doesn't care to mention that. He won't acknowledge any of that. His $3 trillion figure is pulled out of thin air, just like the CBO did, with the best information they had last time, and that's because there's no dynamic scoring. We've talked about that before. They don't take into consideration, gee, if we got taxes and let people keep more of their money and, and incentivize corporations to invest more and hire more and produce more, I don't know. Maybe that will produce more revenue in the long run. They never consider that because there's no dynamic scoring. It's just nominal face value scoring. Everything stays the same. Throw this percentage on there. Take this one away. Do that. Do this. Boom. What does that mean? So essentially, folks, what it means is we're assuming everything's the same today, that, and that's going to stay constant for 10 years, even though we're going to implement these tax cuts. And if you overlay that on everything being constant, meaning that no change whatsoever in economic activity as a result of lower taxes, well, sure, those numbers work. That's what Reich is saying here. He's making the same mistake. But yet, 
Democrats care about the deficit who ain't never met a penny they couldn't spend? And do you ever see Reich, Biden, or any of the others ever talk about cutting spending as a potential solution, if not partial solution, to reducing the deficit? Never does that come up. So here's where we are. We got 70% of spending, which is, consists of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and debt interest, off the table. Republicans have said it too. Now even Rick Scott is crawfishing on us. Nope, not touching that. Okay, that leaves us 30%. And Republicans say, can't cut defense. Well, that's 15%. That leaves the other 15% that's possible to cut. But the Democrats say, no, we're not cutting that. So you know what happens? Good old-fashioned impasse. That's where we are right now. And that's why the deficit's out of control. The debt's running rampant, scheduled now to go from its present level of $31 trillion to, in 10 years, just under $50 trillion. That's double. Coming right back. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Dr. David Weiland, Assistant Professor of Pediatric Cardiology and Electrophysiology. Did I say that right? That's it. You got it. All right. At the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So you're heavily involved in the subspecialty of heart rhythm disorders in children. Is that right, Dr. Weiland? Yes, sir. That's correct. That's my area of, of subspecialty and sub you know expertise within pediatric cardiology is um, you know essentially disorders of heart rhythm. So not as much you know my my colleagues and, and myself to an extent work with you know children born with congenital heart disease that that leads to how the heart works. My um, my expertise is is what makes the heart go, the heart rhythm itself, and the things that can that can impact that and and cause problems with that. Okay, and also something known as uh, SCA or sudden cardiac arrest. Yes, sir. So sudden cardiac arrest describes a a um, there's a, a few different disorders that ultimately cause the heart to abruptly stop beating in the appropriate fashion. Generally, the the, the technical term for that is is called ventricular fibrillation, in which the heart does not actually squeeze and therefore pump blood effectively to to it to the body and um and this there's a a few different types of disorders that go into that but they all they all go into uh, heart rhythm disorders particularly in the pediatric population the older population is a number of things that can structurally be wrong with the heart and the coronary arteries and things like that but in the the young adult and the child generally it's a um inherited type of condition that either affects the muscle cells themselves or how the 
how they how the muscle talks to itself to to generate that rhythm. Okay, so you know something that I guess you don't hear a great deal about, or I guess you wouldn't associate with children is is heart disorders and heart disease. But it but it does happen, and uh, it it always occurs to me that any sort of of uh, situations, health conditions involving the heart, time is of the essence. Absolutely, and so you're absolutely right. You know, even even when I was going through medical school here, you know, I I, I didn't at that time know a, a lot about pediatric cardiology coming in. I didn't know that was the area that I was going to choose to go into. And and you sort of think about heart conditions as as inherently being something that older individuals have. And so when I started to learn about, it, I was like, what what is this even going to going to be? And and so there is a you know, as I've, I've come to learn and, and, and love as my, my profession, there's a, a variety of, of things that, that can impact the, 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 the congenital heart and, the, and then things that can be acquired. And, and we have a, a great team at, that, that I work with at the university that, that takes care of all, you know, forms of that. And, and yeah, and the, you know, so for, you know, sudden cardiac arrest, um, you know, the most important thing, there's, there's a few kind of ways that we, we work towards helping people with that, helping families with that, and ultimately, as we'll, we'll talk about some trying to help, you know, communities with is, is time is of the essence, um, you know rapid initiation of CPR and use of uh, uh, automatic external defibrillators or AEDs is is very crucial in, um, in improving survival of, of patients that experience that condition. Okay, so you are advocating for a bill introduced in the state Senate, SB 2750, and this would establish a grant uh, to essentially, I guess, purchase and place AEDs in public and charter schools. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And so the um, the the background of this a little bit was this was um, um, something that that um, uh, I I my my mother also had kind of kind of worked with. She was previous president of uh, Mississippi State Medical Association. That would be Doctor Jerry Wiley. Been on the program. Yeah, she, she's a, a good friend of the program, as, as they Absolutely. might as they might say. And um, and so the the idea being that um, uh, administered by the health department. Um, a like you said a, a grant set up um, is a one-time expense or expenditure to um, a, a smaller part of it to administer the you know the parts that, were, that this goes into but also to, to fund the purchase for uh, public and charter schools and uh, automatic external defibrillator uh, it, it has those the technology has improved a lot over time and generally as technology improves it gets cheaper but you're still looking best estimate is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,000 for a uh, a, a AED that that you would want to have and use at a you know um, a place like a school or a large community center. Uh, I think nineteen hundred is is something a little bit closer to. But that's so it, it's a it's an expense that is is, is kind of challenging for a, a single school individual you know a single school or even school board to really try to dive into when there's so much so many things there you're, they're trying to. You know, work on you know teacher incentives, you know things for students, things like that, and and this is a you know it's a public health matter. But my 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 mentor at, at Duke where I trained, you know, told me like if you're this is a public health matter, but but it's, it's not something you get an MPH. In. Yeah. MPH is more for like you know hypertension, diabetes, things that are much more ubiquitous. But this is something that does impact you know people, does impact the real world, and. And the other the other background to this was this was kind of something we started thinking about after everyone watched on Monday Night Football a few weeks back, where the Buffalo Bills player collapsed from 
you know, it will, they will likely never say what the the actual condition was, but but his whatever he had led to a sudden cardiac arrest, and he was defibrillated on the field, got appropriate treatment, is doing very well, and that is the crucial part of that. That unfortunately, when not you know visible and 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 on a professional team. Uh, sometimes lacking, and so that's the, the idea was was sort of set forward from from that um, to to kind of try to bring bring this about and um, and and try to to provide that for uh, for our public schools and and charter schools in the state. Yeah, so I, I got to say I'm a little surprised, uh, doctor, that we haven't already seen the distribution and the placement of AEDs in schools. And I say that because it just seems like. Uh, you use the word a minute ago. They're ubiquitous. They're, they're everywhere you see in public spaces. Heck, we even have one at our golf course. It's fairly common. Absolutely, it's it's becoming much more common. That and that is a a good thing. There are a few challenges that that go along with it. Um, you know, the first is that while it's it's not. It's like I said, it's more rare than some of the other things, but it's not not necessarily rare enough for for that that we should you know sort of ignore the the, the possibility of the you know kind of the estimates are somewhere around uh, four thousand children, young adults will have a sudden cardiac arrest event that that falls into one of those those diagnoses that we treat, and so while that number isn't isn't high, it's extremely visible. It's extremely detrimental, obviously, to a family and to a community. Sure, but so it doesn't, you know, at the at the level of you know what a school is going to be looking at. What do we need this month, this semester, this year? You know that that's probably one of those things that's that's hard to. You know, really think about and say, oh, this we're going to need this because this is going to happen here. And 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 like every like the fire extinguisher, like everything else, like yeah, you don't want the fire to happen. You expect not the fire to happen, but the fire happens. And it's insurance. It's, it's, Essentially, it's just insurance. Right. And so, um, the other issue is is historically people have been somewhat timid about the use of CPR and AEDs gotcha. with with the thought that they might inflict harm. And that's our job. But what we do is is educate people. That's not the case. Early CPR, early use of AEDs. AEDs do not discharge. They're, they're automatic. That's the A part of that. They don't discharge unless there the it, it it determines the rhythm is something that needs that for this okay. isn't like on the tv with the the paddles and the yeah. you know all that this this does itself and if it's not something that it it determines is needed it actually th- these days will tell you shock not advised resume cpr you know it's already told you to call 911 and and that's the first step of of any of any of these events so is there a standard program tra- training program that the teachers would complete to know so, how to use the device so so that's a, a very interesting question and that's that sets up into as it stands as as part of this bill not necessarily however there are um there are a few different uh, uh systems and resources for the use of that um to to, to give a plug to my my colleagues and, and my institution one of them is something uh called project adam which um does not provide funding for aeds that's always a little bit of the hard part for the use yeah. of that but once the school has that Project Adam that that one of my colleagues, Dr. Charlie Games, is is heavily involved with in our state and it's around a number of states, will actually provide resource information, training materials, and and kind of sets up like you know you remember doing the fire drill or tornado drills, similar sort of deal. Like okay. has has you know uh, stakeholders for who's going to use this, where is it going to be, how's it going to be displayed, who's going to check it. They 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 are automatic. They're on a battery, but just like everything, they need to be checked about once every few months to make sure the battery's good, all the pads and everything like that. So that is a, a secondary thing that, that once, and, th- and these two things do kind of tie together because, you know, we're trying, Dr. Games and, and, and uh, we are trying to do Project Adam, but not all the schools have that yet. 
tying the two parts together and and as and this is also kind of you know it, it work across the country um we'll, we'll make that utility and and make these capabilities uh, more accessible and, and easier to use what's the status of the bill before you go status of the bill it uh has made it through the the senate mm-hmm. and is uh, up for consideration in the house uh, from from my understanding okay you feel good about it passing this point? I, I hope so. I mean, I, th- I think that you know, they, there's a, there's some there's some details need to be ironed out. Okay. Um, but I, I think it's a good bill. Uh, I think that um, you know it's, they should keep it in consideration, and I hope it makes makes it through. Doctor David Wyland has been our guest here on Midday. Thanks for coming in, Doctor, and explaining that. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me, sir. We're taking a break right now. Coming back in the Element Well Studios. <laughs> And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Marcellus himself, huh? They're passing a good time right down there right now, aren't they? As the, the Cajun dialect would say. Passing a good time. Jeez, the Dow now down 561. More sell-off as investors are concerned about geopolitical tensions. She. Where's Joe? He's all over it, though. He's got it. And Mayor Pete, isn't he something? (laughs) I've said it before, I'll say it again. How bad a job do you have to do for anybody across the United States of America to know that cabinet spot? I don't know. That doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, (laughs) really, does it? I wouldn't call it rigorous. Or anything like that. I mean, can you go back and and name me the United States Secretary of Transportation under any other president? No. I can't. I really can't. I just, I I have a hard time figuring out what they do and how it affects me. And isn't that what most people want to know? How does this affect me? Robert Reich, by the way, also goes on to say yesterday, outlawing abortion, criminalizing gender-affirming care, banning books. The GOP is not the party of limited government. It's not the party of freedom either. It's the party of social control. So this is a really a miserable little man that doesn't consider the nuance here that 
These things hurt people, such as abortion, gender-affirming care, completely, totally inappropriate, stupid, sexually explicit books for kindergartners. That's not freedom. That's just common sense. That's all that is. That's not any sort of limitation of freedom or expression. What kind of society do we want here? What happened to just basic human respect? Civil discourse. And I would include that to mean totally inappropriate reading material. I mean, there's schools in this country that teach kindergartners that there is no such thing as gender. It was made up by adults. There's no biological sex. We just made it up and foisted it on our kids. You're either one of two. You can't do that anymore. It's depraved. It's moral decay. And we are paying the price for it. Meanwhile, Xi Jinping's over there behind closed doors yucking it up with his buddy Putin, and they're plotting a takeover of the world. We're plotting how to impose pronoun choices on our children, where they can go to the bathroom. Stupid. Just unbelievable. Wow. Well, many in Washington now are acknowledging. I was talking before we went to break about, well, we can't touch Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the other statutory programs, debt interest, that's 70 percent, can't touch def defense, we're up to 85 percent. The Democrats say you can't touch the um, domestic spending, non-defense domestic spending. Well, that's 100 percent. So what can we touch? Nothing. But you know what? There's some folks in Washington that are waking up. They may be tuning in. They now know and realize the nation's debt problem cannot be solved without tackling Social Security and Medicare. What tipped you off there? We got a baby boom generation that's retiring and is going to be receiving benefits for much longer than projected by the actuaries because of the improvement in the quality of our health care. We're living longer lives. We got fewer people working. We're reproducing less, bringing more people, fewer people into the world to work. This is unsustainable. But nobody has the political will to even talk about it. You talk about it, and it gets exposed and leveraged for political gain. They want to cut your Social Security and Medicare. But if you don't touch it, it will crash under its own weight. And that just doesn't seem to ever get brought out, that that's the unsustainable reality. I will say I don't think I've seen, maybe in my lifetime, as much discussion about this very subject as we have the last few months. Both parties finally coming to grips with this reality and talking about it. Maybe you could 
chalk that up as some form of movement in the in a positive direction and that we got to do something. This ain't going to work. Speaker says, Speaker McCarthy, we won't touch Medicare or Social Security. I get it. It's a politically unpopular thing to say. Okay, then, tell us what you will do. That's the problem. Just saying what you won't do, that doesn't make the problem go away. What will you do to address this runaway deficit and debt? It's it's projected our deficit to be $1.4 trillion this year, same as last year, 22, And then in 24, the CBO says $2 trillion. $2 trillion. That means 35% of our spending doesn't have any revenue to offset it. 35%. Imagine operating your household under those circumstances. More than a third of what you spend, you got no income to cover. Doesn't work. So, but nobody will come forward and say, okay, this is what we will do. Thus far, we're waiting for the Republicans to tell us their proposals to cut spending. Hadn't really seen much other than the bill to defund the 87,000 IRS agents, which doesn't amount to a whole lot of money. It would, in fact, eliminate a lot of hassle and pain for Americans, but that's not going to get signed into law. So we're just at a big old-fashioned stalemate, and I just don't see anything in the offing that's going to address it. Some of these folks are still talking about that $1 trillion coin. <laughs> and some other really unrealistic ways of, of avoiding raising the debt limit. Yeah, anybody that proposes minting a platinum coin to deal with the debt, that should pre- pretty much be a red flag to know, don't ever listen to a word that comes out of their mouth and take it seriously, because they're dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> That's absolutely true. There are three deficit reduction ideas that I've thought about the Democrats might get on board with. One of those is to just cap growth and discretionary spending, which accounts for about a third of total spending. Just say no more. Um, at least for the expected life of any debt increase, which is going to be necessary to avoid default. Two would be to replace Social Security's annual inflation adjustment. Using the chain-weighted consumer price index, I won't get into to the weeds on that, but what it really means is that the more affluent recipients of Social Security from an income perspective would see less of an increase in their benefits than those with lower-level incomes that are receiving Social Security benefits. I don't like that idea, because I, I think it's um, inequitable when you think about what you get out versus what you paid in. But it's something that I think maybe the Democrats could embrace. And then the other thing that hit me was, what about taxing some of these ridiculously wealthy nonprofit institutions? How about that? I'm not a fan of taxes in general, but 
I'm just looking for something that maybe both parties could get on board with, and I thought that that might be one. So those are potentially three. I don't see any of those getting any traction, honestly, but it's just a thought. It's what we do here. Who knows? Maybe somebody's listening, <laughs> and they'll take action on it. But we got the Mardi Gras music bumping us in and out today because it is Fat Tuesday in Mardi Gras. Celebrate because tomorrow is Lent. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Google Play or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Do you know what it means? To miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day. I know I'm not wrong. The feeling's getting stronger the longer I stay away. Miss the moss covered vines, the tall sugar pines where mockingbirds used to sing. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It is Mardi Gras. And thus we got the Mardi Gras tunes going. You guys probably saw the report that the city of Baltimore revealed a, a report that zero students, zero, are proficient in math in 23 schools for their grade level. I think we've since learned that in Illinois, 53. We're failing our kids. And, and I know we're here in Mississippi, and we don't have such a, a situation. I think we've improved dramatically in that area, in that arena. But we can't ignore what's happening across the country. We need all of our precious children in this country as one nation, all Americans, to thrive, to excel in school. Because here's what happens, as you know, Rhino, all these students that aren't proficient in math, and in, and in Illinois, the... the um, the situation also included an analysis, or the report, I should say, of reading proficiency. Same. Well, so, if children at this level, at this critical point in their lives, don't become proficient and master the basic math and reading skills, where do you think they end up as adults in society? Typically, the outcome will be that they are recipients and rely on government assistance simply to live. That's what happens. And so, again, while I know the left likes to divide us into their little tidy 
groups, group identity is alive and well amongst the aggrieved leftists. And that's right out of the Marxist playbook. What's really happening in our society in terms of categorization and division of people is that we have a producer class and a recipient class. And that's not to not to diss or demean those in the recipient class. It's just a honest observation. That's what's happening. And it seems like the left in this country is perfectly fine with that. Why don't they pay attention? I mean, Baltimore's a stone's throw from the nation's capital. There's nothing coming from the Democrat Party to even point this issue out. They're afraid that it, I guess, could dishonor, discredit the Democrat leadership that runs the city. This is sad. Here's what's really crazy. Well, you certainly can't call out the schools or the teachers, because then you might take off your buddy the union. I was just about to say that. You read my mind. 21000 bucks per student in Baltimore City schools. 21000 And they can't read or do math. How could the union spend so much money to produce nothing? That's what they're good at. It's just unbelievable. This is a ripoff. Just like unions. <sighs> These kids in Baltimore, Baltimore has a, a fairly significant Catholic community. You know they could get their education at the Catholic schools for half the cost of the public schools based on what they spend per student. And they can all read and write and do math. I bet they all identify their pronouns on the first day, though. Uh, you know that's the case. And you know they learn about how evil and wicked the country is and still living in the 1860s. I bet they get a load of that. They just can't do math or read. That's sad. That's despicable. It's abhorrent. Man, oh, man. So the Institute for Energy Research, foremost authority, arguably, on energy, and I think a fairly objective organization, says something you've talked about before, that the United States is the cleanest of all the advanced nations on the planet. That's, we're not surprised, are we? No. And I would argue that's because of free market innovation. It's technology that addresses all these issues. We've discussed many new technologies on the program that are being developed and ultimately implemented, tested. What was the one we talked about a few weeks ago in Iceland? They f f built these giant scrubbers that pull in air and pull all the, um, sap all the carbon out of the air and then return it 
to the atmosphere, to the environment, minus all the bad stuff, like giant filters, outdoor filters. That's just one of the gazillions of technologies being worked on. That's why. Yet, it's those nations that are under the thumb of communist regimes, socialist governments, they're the ones doing all the pollution. But yet, the left, the climate nuts, will tell you it's capitalism. We've got to end it. No, that's the only way to fix it, you fools. If there's even anything to fix. That's still debatable. This country, even despite Joe Biden's war on the fossil fuels industry, which he launched day one when he was inaugurated, still one of the largest producers of oil. And, of course, Biden says, we're going to need that oil at least for another 10 years. <laughs> you got to get up pretty early to get out in front of that guy. Oh, gosh. Un unbelievable. Still going on. Our air quality, if you look at it on a, a line graph going back to 1990 forward to today, our air quality is steadily improved. Steadily improved. So is our wealth. So help me connect the dots there. It's capitalism. In the 1990s, of course, early 1990, that was in advance of the Internet, the dot-com boom, where tremendous amount of wealth was created during that period and post that period because all of a sudden we had these unbelievable tools at our disposal to create more goods and services, to produce wealth. Unbelievable. It's just dumb. You know, a lot of communities across the country are considering reparations, California, What's the latest they're talking about there? Five million ahead, and then two thirty-three k a year for life. One of the first reparations programs implemented in the nation in Evanston, Illinois, a suburb, a suburb of Chicago, a far-left liberal suburb of elitist, I should say. So their city council voted to distribute ten million over the next ten years. That was two years ago, to eligible black households. The funds were earmarked to compensate black families for past housing discrimination in Evanston going back to 1919. Unbelievable. So they came up with this Byzantine model that only a liberal could possibly think up 16 residents selected randomly by a ping-pong ball machine, like a lottery machine, have received $25,000 of payments. Two of the 16 who've gotten reparations, they're upset that the 25 k payment may disqualify them from other free money from the state. <laughs> it's just beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. Unbelievable. It's laughable. <laughs> no, they just forgot that little detail. What are the odds they work as a result of that? 
I'm thinking they're in the recipient class not working. They're an unemployment statistic. We're coming back with the final segment of Hour 2 on Middays. We will return. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. something missed up. <laughs> so, let's see. Right now, I guess it would be, I guess it's still Rex on Mardi Gras Day, the big one, right? The king of Mardi Gras. And yeah, then it's that's Rex, then Zulu. I think Zulu's before. I think Zulu Zulu's, before Rex? Yeah, I think so. Early in the morning with the golden coconuts. And then Rex. And then I think it's Crew of Bells. Yeah, that's right. And there's one more as well. I can't remember. Mid-City or something like that. And it's, you know, like 8,000 floats. <laughs> so, and it's it's more family-oriented. Whereas Rex, I think, is more of a guy's deal. And else, usually, when you see them on the truck floats, as they call them, usually it's families. It's pretty cool. They're all dressed in the costume theme. Proteus is the other one. Proteus, is that today? The oldest. Oh, the oldest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Second oldest, excuse me. Okay, which is the oldest? Uh, isn't that one Zulu? I don't know. It's either that or Rex, huh? I would think. So, one of those. And so, you know, the king, of course... Yeah, Rex is the oldest. Okay, it makes sense. And I, I believe it's probably still the case. The king of Rex not revealed until Mardi Gras Day. And historically, it's the Times-Picayune, the local paper that would publish the a photo of the king and then the king's identity and a bio right there on the front page. You'd learn about it when you woke up that morning and and uh, consumed there the Times-Picayune. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but that was the tradition. It's pretty cool. And then what's the last one tonight? Is that is that Proteus? What's the one that's tonight, the last one, before they call it a day? And they would gather up at the used to be the Superdome. I think it's uh, being renovated or something right now. But According to this article, yeah, from Frommers, Rex is the final official parade. Hmm. Okay. But then there's the truck parades. The truck parades, yeah, Elks and I want to say it's Mid City, but I thought there was one after it. It's at night once the sun goes down. That. Um, Streets usually are a little emptier at that point. And then it seems that I recall that king and Rex toast to end the night. I'm recalling this from my childhood, by the way. So 
I'm just scrolling through the uh, the dates here, trying to. I got Loon de Gras. Okay, here's Mardi Gras. Okay, on MardiGrasNewOrleans.com. Yep. In Metairie, you got Elks, Jefferson, and Argus. In Uptown, you got Zulu, Rex, Elks, Orleans, and Crescent City. Crescent City, that's it. And uh, Covington has the Carnival in Covington, and uh, Folsom has one in the afternoon, the crew of Folsom. Okay. So there's all of your parade plans right. for the Fat Tuesday. Thank you. Gary in Meridian says, Zulu no longer throws coconuts. Political correctness demands the coconut be handed to the people to prevent injuries. All righty. Yeah, it's been around... As long as I've been going to Mardi Gras. Comus is what Philip in Walthall County says. Maybe what I'm looking for is, is that that does sound right. Comus, the nighttime Mardi Gras night parade. Maybe it's not running anymore. I don't know. The last parade is the police parade running everybody off. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Salmon from Mount Hermon says, Gerard, the people who got the 25000 don't they know the old adage, never look a gift horse in the mouth. You may not like to see. <laughs> I hear you. Thanks, Sam from Mount Hermon. Yeah, so they're no longer eligible for all the other government distribution. <laughs> so, because they eclipsed the income eligibility threshold. Imagine that. we got to fix that. Equity. It's a dumb idea to start with, just doling out cash like that. You know, isn't that kind of consistent with the old idea of a handout instead of a hand up? I'm certainly happy to help anybody move up the economic ladder and leverage the abundant opportunities available to us in this country. Speaking of which, I, I, I spend time on YouTube when I'm writing and doing stuff, and I like to watch the old classic rock videos. Of course, you have to bear the commercials, right? So there's one that's been hitting me up lately about becoming a professional email writer. Have you seen this one? There's some guy that's got this course you can take, and he guarantees, you know, X dollars of income. I'm trying to figure out why I'm being targeted for this one. What did I do? It's got me on that list. I can't help you because I wind up with a whole bunch of Spanish language cleaning product ads. <laughs> you told me about that. You showed me one the other day. It was quite humorous, actually. We're stepping aside for a break. We got uh, hour three coming up on midday. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Well Studios. It is Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras in full swing. So we have been informed that Senator Chris McDaniel has canceled today's interview, so we will not be talking to the senator on today's program. Disappointed in that, I, I did, um, as Rhino knows, I don't do any prep for interviews. 
I don't come in here with a script or a set of questions, and that's not provided either. It's and I think it works out better that way. Honestly, it's just more spontaneous and and um, sometimes a bit just impulsive, I guess. But uh, you know, I, I feel like that makes for a better interview uh, rather than it being sort of scripted and structured and mechanical. In this particular case, because I felt like this honestly would be an incredibly important discussion uh, for the state of Mississippi, I, I did spend some time researching measures and votes for um, a sitting state senator who has thrown their hat in the ring to be the state's um, second highest elected official and who would preside over the state Senate. And I also included, um, I feel like, all the topics that are of key importance to our state and its welfare. And in fact, I'm looking at my, my three sheets here, Rhino, and I know we never get to this, but you know that. We, we, we kind of come with a whole lot of content to talk about. We don't get to half of it. Which is not a bad thing, but the alternative is you show up half-baked and you sit here and you twiddle your thumbs, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to talk about next? Better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Yeah. This morning at the healthcare session that I moderated, I had six pages, and I knew we'd never get to that. I got through three, but it was three that I felt like were informative and valuable. That's the main thing to the audience. It's not a subject matter you can cover in an hour and 15 minutes. It's just not. And honestly, even for a candidate running for a high-level office like this in Mississippi, you can't cover that in a couple of segments. But if you wanted to really do a sweeping discussion of all the the high-profile issues. So I, I looked at my... You know, I like to put things in when I, when I do prepare for any sort of speaking, I usually try to structure just a standard outline. Here are the topics and then the subtopics, and maybe they indent even further where there's subtopics to the subtopics. In this case, I have 29 that I prepared for. And I did that mainly because I wanted to ensure, with the precious little time we have, that we covered as much as possible that uh, I felt like would be relevant and uh, pertinent to voters, to the people of Mississippi. And and you know this from doing this a a while, Rhino. There there are people, when you're dealing with political candidates, that think, oh yeah, well, you're waiting to get them there so you can assault them or accost them and try to play gotcha. Really go out of our way not to ever do that. And I hope the audience would agree that they haven't witnessed that. If they have, let me know, because it, it's inadvertent, I can assure you. Rather, try to structure these interviews in a way that are informative, educational, that are open-ended, just as you would do in an interview for an employee, you know, and not ask just basic yes-no binary questions. Because you don't get the true perspective and the insight from the subject of being interviewed. 
So it's, it's open-ended questions is what we try to convey, and it's not questions that I think, well, yeah, if I ask them this, that's really going to get them. No, I don't do that. I don't care who the candidate is, whether I agree with them or not, support them or not. And I hope that is perceived that way. I truly do mean this, because if not, I'm not doing my job. And the state has a number of high-profile issues that, and all of these candidates, honestly, should tell their positions to the voters. Um... A number. You guys know it. We talk about it on the program all the time. So I'm disappointed that uh, the senator couldn't join us today. At this point, I don't have any other information about possible rescheduling. But I just wanted to get that out there because I think it's important. And I do think if we ever get this interview going that uh, that folks would would learn a lot. That That's the goal. Whether you support or you oppose, doesn't really matter. It's just learn because you're running for office. It's it's your job to convey to the voters how you feel and how you will govern. And I go into that not doubting anybody. That would be unfair, and honestly, wouldn't make for a good interview if you think about that be a series of gotchas that uh, don't do that, don't care, not interested in that. And you certainly could dwell on all sorts of past history, and that's fair, unfortunately, in politics, and it can be relevant. But honestly, I'm more concerned as a voter, as a father, as a Mississippian, about the future. I can't fix the past. Is the past relevant, sometimes a harbinger for one's future? Sure, it can be. Not always, though. But it should be taken into consideration. But more importantly, tell us, all candidates, I'm not talking about just Senator McDaniel here, all candidates, how are you going to make us more free, more prosperous, provide more opportunity, Safer? All the above. Now, each one of those topics could take on a life of its own right there. Each one of those could be drilled down into almost infinitely across a spectrum, an array of issues. But just wanted to pass that on. That's, uh, that's where we are. Gary Meridian says... I'm not running for any office, but I'm always available for an interview, laugh out loud. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood still has concerns about, uh, you've said so much, I'm looking forward to here, Thomas, about, uh, oh yeah, here we go, his, his vote, the senator's vote on the pay raise for state leaders. And, and Thomas, I, I know... You said that he claims that he wasn't present for the vote. I'm not sure, because I I did look it up, and I did that in preparation for the interview. And the official record from the 2022 session, House Bill 1426, which would increase the pay of various state elected officials, the governor, the the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house, 
the commissioner bag, the auditor of accounts, as it is called, I think the uh, public service commissioner, the transportation commissioner, the attorney general, the state treasurer. Did I get them all, Rhino? That's, I think that's all correct. Agriculture commissioner, did I mention that? Insurance commissioner, yeah. Uh, all did receive pay raises effective in the next, the next term, the 2020, which begins in 2024. And of course, that's something that had to pass the House, the Senate, and then transmitted to the governor. It did pass, and the official record is that Senator McDaniel voted nay. He voted against this measure. He, Senators Chisholm, Hill, Sojourner, and Tate, a total of five. Absent and those not voting, none. Now, Thomas, if you think that's wrong, I suggest you would recommend to you, I guess, that you contact the Secretary of State's office and um, others in the Mississippi State Senate that record the sessions and the votes and pose your question to them. I'm just conveying what the official public record is. That's all we got to go on at this point. I really don't care what a person says. That's what the official record says. If they say something that conflicts with that, that's a different story. But I'm looking at it. Maybe you know something different. Hmm. Ben says, from Madison, I think you can get a good idea of how that individual would govern based on their answers to that question. Yeah, and the question is, how are you going to make us more free and more prosperous? I totally agree with you, Ben. That's that's why, in fact, I, I advised the senator's campaign. That is what I was going to focus on. Stay with us in the Element Well Studios. It's middays. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, so Thomas says that he sent a link, and it's to a different source. Legiscan is another source, of course, that tracks legislation across all the states, I believe. And this would be the same House bill, 1426. This does reflect uh, scrolling down here with respect to the um, pay raises for state leaders that he voted for it, but the official Mississippi legislature site, not a third-party site, he is listed as an A. So there's a conflict between Legiscan and the Mississippi legislature. Not sure. 
what all that means. You know, I honestly, I don't consider that a big deal. If you want to know the truth, I don't get bent out of shape about what is a small amount of money. I'm way more concerned about much bigger issues. I don't know. What do you think, Thomas? What's fair salary for a governor, for a lieutenant governor, secretary of state? Pay hadn't been changed in a long time. I, I don't know that that bothers me a whole lot, honestly. And I know a lot of people say, well, you signed up for it when you ran, and now you're, you're advocating for a pay raise. <clears throat> but the truth is, you would have to get reelected in the coming election for any of this to apply to you. It didn't change the pay during the term. It would change the pay in the next term. So you would only benefit if you ran and won. Of course, the folks that would receive these increases, with the exception of the Speaker, don't vote on it. So these raises, in, uh, the governor, by the way, would have a say in the final disposition of the legislation. But as I recall, Rhino, he let this one expire. He didn't vote for it, didn't veto it. Remember that? There's a certain window of time within which the governor can sign or veto legislation. If they take no action, it automatically becomes law, becomes enacted. Yeah, that particular one was sent to the governor's desk on the 7th of April, 2022. And because of his uh, response deadline passing, it was filed without signature by the governor on the 25th of April, yeah. 2022. Okay. And I think I found the discrepancy in the voting. Okay. Please. Because there was a vote on the Senate final reading. Ah, where there were five nays, including Chisholm, Hill, McDaniel, Sojourner, and Tate. Yep. But then there was a conference committee report where the changes had been made since the House had last voted on it, so the House had to go back and vote, and then the Senate had to go back and re-vote. And in the conference committee report vote, there were only three nays. Okay. Bob Bryan, Angela Hill, and Joseph Seymour. You're right. I'm scrolling down. A lot of action, as you can see, on this particular measure. And you're right. Uh, all the way into April, right? Is that what you see? That's correct. Yeah. So you had a, a House vote, a Senate vote, and then, of course, you had the conference report, meaning both chambers got together, weren't totally aligned on the measure. Yeah, the leadership of the House, leadership of the Senate. <laughs> yep. Assigns people to the committee. Yes. So on 4-4, the report was filed on 4-4 also, this would be 2022, adopted, and there was a vote. Two is what I see, right? Two different votes. And then looking at the, in the history from the state legislative site, the, you see the final action on 4-25, law without governor's signature. 
You see that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we're in concurrence there. Well, thank you. I, I just didn't scroll down far enough to see the conference report votes. That would explain the discrepancy. Thank you. Yep. Good. Glad we got that. Glad we got that ironed out. I will also say that it was, in fact, Senator McDaniel who did prevent legislative pay raises from being enacted. You remember that last year? That was a rather controversial matter. And uh, this would have increased the office allowance expense, or whatever the term is, for members of the legislature. It would be a decent raise for them. I don't remember the exact figure, but... So that passed the Senate. And it was Senator Chris McDaniel who did uh, make a motion to reconsider. And in this particular case, the motion did not get tabled, which essentially killed it. And so it, it's, um, it's considered, you know, by, by um, those in the Senate, in the legislature, as well the media, that it was his motion to reconsider the legislation that ultimately got it out there and, and uh, made it become law. Now, this is the reality. He did make the motion. That's absolutely correct. But I think there was such backlash from the public. You remember that, Rhino, that members of the Senate at that point, I think, said, you know what, we're going to let this thing die. And that's how it died, was the motion to reconsider was not tabled, meaning there was no vote to table it which just keeps it on the calendar, and it ultimately becomes uh, um, pa- passes, I should say, the chamber. But in this case, it did not get tabled, which that's the fate of a bill that does not get tabled. Generally, mean yeah, there's been a change of heart here. This thing's going to die. We've thought about it since we voted for it. Is what it means. So we do have to credit him with that. But. You know, both of those matters, in my view, you may have a different view, folks, and that's perfectly fine. Kind of secondary, to me, to the more pressing issues facing the state. And that's not something that I would dwell on in an interview with the senator, honestly. I just, I don't, it's not going to change the future. You know, there's a little money going to whomever gets elected to these various offices and starting in 24 but again that's kind of pales in comparison to what the big issues are to me in the state that we should be concerned about and that I would be interested and I think most people would be interested in in uh, knowing where the senator stands on these various issues so uh, let's see Hmm. So somebody doesn't like the way I prepare for interviews, (laughs) get your own show. So are you saying that uh, you don't enjoy the interviews? Wow. The listeners demand the truth, this person says. Have I been not telling the truth? Can you give me some examples? Have any of the interview subjects not told the truth? 
Can you give some examples of that? Wow. I mean, the first part of that text wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the last two sentences. Don't fail to do this again. Your <laughs> listeners need and demand the truth. Okay. <laughs> well, let me know when we're not telling the truth. Be specific. Now, give me the exact date, time, and what we said. Wow. That's incredible. I think that was taken totally out of context. What I mean by that is, as I explain, is I don't come in here with a script. I don't. And normally the interview subjects don't either. And we don't have people that are handing us the questions to ask, like they do in the big-time networks where there's some producer in your ear saying, ask this, ask that, right? You know, you know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. We don't have that. And if you feel like that the questions we're asking are not relevant, do not, are not open-ended, are not thought-provoking, are not eliciting meaningful, substantial answers, be specific, because i got to tell you, I hear the exact opposite over and over and over on almost a daily basis, including today. So I, I think, um, well, that's fine, you're, you're certainly f uh, free to grade that however you wish. It's hard to demand something when you're getting it for free, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're taking a break. The dial down 598, just hit 600. Coming back. Mississippi. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios today. <laughs> you know, it's it's worth reviewing this every now and then, Rhino. You you obviously are very familiar with this concept. This is a business, for-profit business, and you know, if you're producing poor product. You will suffer the financial consequences. That's the way it works in the market. So the litmus test is revenue. Satisfaction from the customers. They're the ones who pay the bills around here. How do they do that? By sponsoring, buying ads, buying remotes. That, ultimately, is the measurement of the success of programming in this medium. I missed something there, Rhino. You've been doing this a while. I get no, that right? pretty much dead on. That's how it works. Simple as that. 
And this network does a damn good job. And I would challenge anybody. You, you want to do your own deal? Have at it. It's hard. And there's a whole lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make all this possible every day. And we are grateful to them. It's a, it is a team effort. We may have the mics here, but it's a team effort. And there's a bunch of people make all this possible, including all the customers who pay the bills. I just want to point that out. If I hadn't in a while. <laughs> and now, we can't do it without you good folks listening to us. We are perfectly aware of that. And we want to bring you a high-quality product every single day. And we work to make it better. Constantly. And, and I hope that that is the case. That's sort of the bottom line on this. Gerard, this is Nan from Hattiesburg. I so much enjoyed the segment you had yesterday on credit. Yeah, we were talking about, uh, towards the end of the program, credit scoring. This is so important, not only for our young people, but adults as well, to understand about the three reporting agencies and how credit affects us financially. Please have more consumer segments like these. It's appreciated. I appreciate that, Nan, a lot. And, you know, all, all that is from personal experience where I was kind of thrust into that situation where I got curious and started talking to people who do it for a living. And I'm happy to pass on what I learned through that process. And I, so I really do appreciate you saying that, Nan. And I agree, it is very important. And I wish we spent more time, honestly, in, uh, in the high schools at a minimum, maybe junior, senior year, when you're likely to enter the workforce. Many, shortly, those that don't go to college, and even those that go to college. And it's, you need some time to build up good credit scores because you're going to end up likely borrowing money. Most of us do. That's just a fact of life. And you want to ensure you have good credit scores so you get the best deal on your debt, on your credit. Simple as that. Carolyn Starkville says, you're not doing a good job if you don't ruffle some feathers. Well, I appreciate that, Carolyn. You know, we don't come in here thinking about who can we ruffle. But I, I get your point, though, Carol, and I agree. Uh, we're cognizant of the fact that you ain't going to bat a thousand, as they say. But you know what? We still try to. We want everybody to enjoy the program, no matter what. You may, not dis you may not agree with us. That's perfectly fine. And the one thing I know I've shared before, and of course, Rhino's this old hat to him. They told me in the corner offices here, you got to have an opinion. People want to hear your opinion, right? Oh, yeah. That's what people tune in for. You may disagree with it. That's great. And hopefully we can have a civil conversation where we disagree. Maybe find some common ground, maybe agree to disagree. But when it, I think when it reduces down to resorting to ad hominem attacks and just demeaning, lambasting rhetoric, it kind of loses its credibility, its effectiveness, and its value. It really kind of makes for poor programming, too. Unfortunately, our political environment has devolved to that point, it seems. So I did receive a text from someone with the McDaniel campaign, says he's on the floor right at this minute. That's why he's unable to come on. He had to postpone. 
He, um, this individual thinks that the lieutenant governor um, has, has sometimes will schedule measures that are rather controversial for a vote in such a way that it conflicts with the senator's schedule. I, um, is what's being passed on. So, But anyhow, he's on the floor is uh, what we're being told at this point. I don't know if that's the case. I have no reason, obviously, to doubt this individual. I know they're a, a person of integrity. CC in Senatobia says, Brother liberal, liberals are going to scream, you're a liar because you're telling the truth, and they hate truth. All they can come up with is liar. That's an excellent point there. They do CC. it on a nearly daily basis. Nearly daily basis. And uh, we freely admit, I know I certainly do, we may get something wrong. You know, we really do pride ourselves in in sharing and reporting factual information, no matter what it is. And I think the two of us work to kind of cross-check each other often as well. That works pretty pretty good. And uh, But look, if we say something that you feel like is uh, inaccurate, let us know. And that's happened before. We've had people do it. And we've gone back and said, yeah, you're right. We've corrected it. We, we want it to be accurate. We don't own the truth. Truth owns the truth. We just want to pass it on, share it, inform. Simple as that. Well, let's see here. Maybe we need to give the government a credit card with a set in stone limit, says Jerry in Waynesboro. Well, Jerry, you know, that's what we talked about is is putting a freeze on discretionary spending, Some, an idea I thought maybe everybody could get on board with. I mean, in the You're grand right, scheme though. of things, isn't the debt ceiling the de facto it credit is. card limit? It is. It's essentially going to, if you had, let's say, a Visa card and you said, look, I, I maxed it out, but I need more. Can you raise my credit limit? That's essentially what that is. a good point. It's tantamount to that. Tom and Carthage says... You mean Big Daddy, who, by the way, is the term of endearment we use to describe the president, uh, the CEO of this outfit, doesn't have a teleprompter for you? No, sorry, no teleprompters here. Only Joe Biden gets those, even though he can't read from them. No, it's totally off the cuff. It's totally spontaneous. And that's all I was trying to say about the interviews. I don't know why this person got all bent out of shape about that. It's, it's not as if I have zero knowledge of the content <laughs> of the subject matter before someone sits in that chair. I just don't have a script of a bunch of questions here to ask. I don't do that. Seems to work pretty good to me, based on feedback that we get on a fairly regular basis. Um, that would take a lot of time, wouldn't it? Sit down and... That'd take a bunch of time. Oh, yeah. Several hours. I will say that I do spend several hours. I know Rhino does, too. Absolutely. We all do in this job. Uh, yeah, because the rule of thumb, a little inside baseball here, a little yeah. bit behind the curtain. Yeah. The general rule of thumb, if you are on the air, is that you need at least two hours of prep for every hour you're behind the microphone. That's about what I spend. And and that's just part of it. You accept that. That's that comes with the territory, and uh, and that's for me at least. It's consuming just a wide range of information sources, not just news sources, but information sources as well. And then we call through that, figure out 
what would be appropriate and hopefully interesting to our audience, and we share it, we discuss it, we analyze it. That's, that's the way it works. But nobody's handing all that to us before we come in here every day. I've always said, when because I can say this this year, it's not giving anything away because April Fool's is on the weekend, but I've always said I want to have an April Fool's prank where we just hire somebody in, in, a, in a black suit, like a man in black, <laughs> with an earpiece, to stand just off screen or maybe right in, right in camera view, holding a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. And then he touches his ear like he just got the memo when we start the show, and he hands over the briefcase with what we're supposed to talk about today, because that's what some of the lily-livered liberals believe happens. They believe we just get our talking points from the Republican Party and espouse them to you. That's very true. You're watching Fox News! That's what they say. Larry and Mize says, one fact we know about Chris McDaniel is that he is not a Democrat. We don't know that for sure about Delbert. (laughs) Larry, tell us what you mean by that specifically. I hear you, man. Tell, what do you mean specifically? Coming right back with the final segment on Midday. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines. Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Sam from Mount Hermon wanted to know if I remembered the name of the newspaper that used to be produced in the afternoons, the afternoon edition. I don't. He said, seems like it's like state's item. That does sound familiar. I don't, though. Yeah, I'm not sure the whole Delbert's a Democrat line alone is going to carry Senator McDaniel to victory, says Ben from Madison. In my opinion, it's going to come down to policies in the primary turnout. Although I say that, Michael Cassidy was screaming how Guest wasn't a true conservative, and it almost worked. Primaries can be weird if it's a low turnout. It's a good um, analysis there, Ben. Fun fact about me, gentlemen, says Zach in Oxford. My father was the candidate that caused the runoff between Cochran and McDaniel. That was in 2014. Jackson newspaper had it on its front page. Who in the hell is Tom Carey that just cost the Republican Party $40 million in a runoff? That's interesting. State Times was the paper name, says Mike in Gulfport. Y'all are still continuing to demean. Don't be so hypocritical. In one breath, you say you don't want to be demeaning like the political landscape. I don't know what that word is. Then start right back blaming Democrats. Again, five seconds later. Well, if Democrats didn't want to get dogged on on this show, then they they would stop making such dumb decisions. Yeah, we demean the policies. And I don't even, I wouldn't even call it demeaning. It's, It's just being critical, condemning. The policies. I think about demeaning as mocking or ridiculing someone. Uh, we have a little fun with that across the political spectrum, honestly. Mainly targeting the president, the vice president, his candidates, because they put themselves out there in such a situation where they're wide open for it. And because often their personalities, their communication skills, their delivery, their analyses, they, they are just warrant the criticism. 
and, and the ridiculing, in my view, because these people are making critical policy that affects the whole dang world. It's a little different situation, but I think we do a pretty good job of staying away from the goofy pejoratives and, and uh, insults, but really focus more on especially Joe Biden when he just says stuff he doesn't know what he's talking about, and a good bit of that content's just wrong, like the State of the Union. Like Robert Reich. And he is a little miserable guy. What's wrong about that? Does he not appear to be a little miserable person? I'm not sure you could effectively say he's not. But that, I don't really consider that demeaning. He's little. He's not short. He's not tall. That's little. He seems miserable because everything he posts is just misery. I think that's a logical conclusion. And it would be one thing if he were to walk in the door right now and say, I'm offended that you called me short. Yeah, exactly. You would probably apologize to him for it. Uh, you're but the right. problem with the left is they get butthurt for other people for no good reason. It's true. That's absolutely true. And, you know, as some sort of, of a sign of them caring and being compassionate. No, you're hurting the very people you claim to be compassionate for, advocates for. That's what they don't get. Donnie from Pike County says, Gerard, I think you and Rhino do a fabulous job on informing us on politics and things happening around our country. Y'all keep up the good work. Really appreciate that, Donnie. Thank you, and thank you for for listening and, and for sending us that. It means a lot. And whatever liberals are accusing you of, they are already doing, no doubt. They're specialists in that, are they not? in projection, in gaslighting. If you are rubbing someone's cat the wrong way, tell them to turn it around the other way. <laughs> Great show as always, says Herschel. I love that. So, I'm sorry I didn't see a response, uh, response from Larry in my eyes. And I know Larry's a good guy, um, clearly a McDaniel supporter. And uh, this whole idea of calling a a candidate, a rhino, or a Democrat, it's all free game. I mean, you, you um, accept that as a political candidate. But I, I'm looking for specifics, that's all. And if, and if somebody would share some of those, we'll, we'll talk about it. I, you know, I certainly understand, and I don't agree with the lieutenant governor on all policy matters. He knows that. I've told him. I'm not sure I agree with Chris McDaniel. That's fine as well. So you know what? You have to make a decision and vote. That's how it works. But what we want to do on this program, I keep going back to that, is, is vet the candidates in such a way that you can make an informed decision and cast an informed ballot. Yeah, kowtowing to the diminishing returns of the Russian nesting dolls of purity <laughs> tests is just dumb. <laughs> it's a true story. Somebody said Jackson Daily News. Yeah, that's the Jackson Evening Paper. We were searching for the name of the New Orleans Evening Paper, um, is what somebody was asking for earlier. For expanding Medicaid, just one. Um, well, does that make one a Democrat? Because there are a lot of Republicans in Republican-run states that have as well. You see, that's the problem when you get into all these nuance. And I'm not stumping for Medicaid expansion on that basis. I'm just trying to say I don't know how you can... Just conclude what well, that makes you a Democrat. We are out of time here today. We're back in the studio tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.